Hello, everyone, and welcome to Grip Lock Foundation Disc Golf Weekly Podcast. I'm Hunter, joined as always by Trevor Hello. and Connor. Hey! So yeah, quite the show this week. We're going to kick it off with a little Patreon question of the week. The 50th AFTO went down the past I thought you were about to say like the 50th, like, uh, Patreon, Patreon mailbag no, or something. I was like, wow, American, sick. The 50th American <laughs> Flying Disc Open, which takes you back to, what, 1973? Yes, sir. It's something like deal. that. Uh, a little Trevor's trivia. We've got some uh, U-Disc live scoring complaint about Nate Heinold. Oh. Talk through. <laughs> and then there's, there's a, the notes. Uh, UltiWorld put out this article for the average age of world champions, which is fascinating. Dude, and just get ready for the uh, fandom survey results to come back yeah that'll soon. be that'll those be are gonna months. be exciting uh but first quick word from our sponsors is something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals regardless if you have a medical a clinical health issue like depression or anxiety or if you're just a human who lives in this world and is going through a hard time therapy can give you the tools to approach your life in a very different way and that's why i'm excited to tell you about today's sponsor better help better help's mission is to make therapy more affordable and more accessible and this is an important mission because finding a therapist can be really hard especially when you're you're limited to the options in your area. BetterHelp is a platform that makes finding a therapist easier because it's online, it's remote, and by filling out a few questions, BetterHelp can match you to a professional therapist in as little as a few days. It's easy to sign up and get matched with a therapist. There's a link in my description. It's betterhelp.com slash foundation disc golf. Clicking that link helps support this channel, but it also gets you 10% off your first month of BetterHelp so you can connect with a therapist and see if it helps you. And because finding a therapist is a little like dating, if you really don't, uh, if you don't really fit with that therapist, which is a common thing with therapy, you can easily switch to a new therapist with, at no additional cost without stressing about insurance, who's in your network, or anything like that. Um, guys, therapy is a lot of things. Uh, a lot of people don't necessarily consider it, uh, but just talking to someone and getting somebody that is matched to you that you can share about your life and what you have going on. A lot of people are going through tough times. It can be extremely helpful. Uh, this is something that a lot of people ignore, but therapy, there are, in my experience, I know of so many people who have very powerful stories and what therapy has accomplished for them and things that they've been able to do with their mental health. It is really an important issue. Um, so if you're struggling, uh, consider online therapy with BetterHelp. Click the link in the description or visit betterhelp.com slash foundation disc golf. And thanks again to BetterHelp for supporting this channel. All right, let's kick it off with a little Patreon question of the week. So if you're not sure where this question comes from, basically each and every week we have a podcast for our Heiser Club members, which is what we call our patrons. Um, yeah. And it's called the Heiser Club Mailbag. where best they friends. Can, true. They can uh, basically ask us any question they want and we answer each and every one of them each and every week. It's a really good time. We also have uh, packages sometimes. Connor got a package he's going to open this Friday. Just to show you. I, like, I've got a package well we right them. here. I'm not looking at anything. I'll just be like, shout out Shay Stevens. Shout out Derek Rashke. Shout out Bryce Allen. Shout out Chris Crossley. See, we just know their names. To our grip-locked audience, you could just be making those up. I'm not. He's not. I'm not. Chris Crossley's a real patron. Also, just to give you guys a heads up of how our integrity on Mailbag, I have this package. It's it's Monday whenever we're filming this, which is whenever this show comes out. I have this package that just got here, and I will not open it. It is still sealed, and it will remain sealed until Friday whenever we shoot the mailbag. Connor, dude, we all know you already opened that and resealed it. Yeah, Let's yeah, go with the dude. patron question of the week. Uh, this one comes from Nate McLean. Shout out Nate McLean. <laughs> he didn't look at anything. Uh, if Simon wins Worlds, Calvin wins USDGC, and Gannon wins the Pro Tour Championship, who is player of the year? Fascinating question as we come into the, the final stretch of the season. Paul McBeth. Uh, my my answer would be Calvin. Mm-hmm. I would agree. Um, I mainly would... because obviously in this scenario, I think Gannon would be the one with the most wins. But the problem is the Pro Tour Championships not worth as much as a major. 
Yeah. Um, it would be in so in this scenario, you have both Simon and Calvin have two elite series and a major. I think Calvin gets a silver on top of that. I wouldn't even use that as my leverage, but you no. could. But you could just say. But ultimately, the real leverage I think is the consistency. The consistency, like that alone, does it. Um, Gannon would have three elite series, which is a big deal, and the Pro Tour Championship. Um, but yeah, to me, that doesn't. I, I think it. I think it's certainly more of an accomplishment with this year's format to win that tournament. It feels a little less fluky. Um, but I still don't like it's it's still not a major. It's still not that that, you know, environment, that pressure. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, and there is a lot of pressure in the tour team. It's a lot of money. We haven't know we don't know what the purse is yet, but I wouldn't shock me if it was fifty grand this year or or approaching it. So yeah, but I, I think it's it, just not a I think Calvin winning USDGC would just be so and it would be right at the end of the season too. The recency bias would be through the roof. Like yeah. it would cap off a nice season. Well, because realistically, in my opinion, Calvin winning USDGC would, and Gannon has because I I would say the Pro Tour Championship is like the the caliber of an elite series event, maybe an elite plus event if you want to get freaky with it. Um, <laughs> so an elite series event, uh, and so I would say Calvin and Gannon in this scenario, this person just painted Nate painted would be essentially tied, and I feel like tied goes to consistency. Yeah, I don't think the consistency matters until you're tied with wins. So right now, at this point in the season, I think Gannon's the front runner for Player of the Year in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um. But we got a lot of big tournaments coming down the stretch, and Calvin could win any or all of them. Um, yeah, so it'd be very interesting. Tough to, to see. imagine that somebody is going to beat him over five rounds at Worlds, but we'll get into that on the preview show tomorrow. Yeah, that'll be very interesting to watch. Um, let's get into so the 50th American Flying Disc Open went down this past weekend, and where yeah. was it technically? Um, I think it was like Holly. Wood? My my Hollywood pulled up uh, Worlds when I went to look at it. Um, I did a really fun uh, so like the pro tour and I think it's we, in New York they post this picture it's in Rochester I don't, th- I don't think it was technically Rochester that's what everybody said yeah I know but I was looking I was like oh it wasn't in Rochester oh well maybe it's somewhere else I, did I just say Rochester this is Rochester I just know I was look Hilton New York is where so it maybe it's is. like closer to rochester to where like that's where like you just live it. says rochester the okay. course says Hilton New York well I did like a, they post this picture every year when they do this tournament of like one of the the first years of the tournament, either the first or the second, they like actually gave out this car, um, and I, I I think I'm it might be that the the Jim Palmieri guy had like like owned a dealership or had a connection or something, but either way, like the winner got a car, and I looked up the price of the car, and then I adjusted it for inflation, and as you know as accurate as that can be, it was worth about eighteen grand in today's money, which is like a bigger winner purse than we'll see all year except for like two events maybe. So I thought that was funny. Adjusted for inflation, the car was worth eighteen grand. Yes, in nineteen seventy three or four, it was worth like two point five k. But I wonder if you adjust purses back then for inflation, just in general. What do you mean? Like Climo, for instance, won like ten grand. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean it's it's yeah, it's pretty astounding. Yeah, they were making. I mean, as much as there was not money in disc golf back then, there was also some money in disc golf back then. Come on now, somebody. Something said. Something said. Um, on the FPO side, none other than Miss Frisbee's Miss Chantel Budinski took down the FPO side by can, nine yeah, strokes. Convincing fashion. Um, I'll tell you what, that's Really impressive. pulled away in the last round there. Shot an eight under to get to her total for the tournament is seven under, which is just crazy. She was, yeah. she was one over coming into the final round then shot eight under that final round. Put foot on the gas. Come um, on, YouTube. She's uh, the first ever Canadian 
to win a pro tour event of any caliber. Oh, yeah, that is a big win for YouTube, though. And then uh, it is a big win for YouTube. Colin yeah, McInnes, the first. That shows that should probably show the listeners that like we could also win a pro tour. Like yeah. YouTubers are capable of winning pro tours. Chantel proved that for us. Thank you. Ms. I feel like Fizzies. she's the first FPO YouTuber that I've noticed win something. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. It was. I mean, well, I mean I'm, I'm sure that, if you were making a joke, yeah. that was well, a I mean, like people have. It's hard. It's hard to say because like technically people have YouTube channels, but well, I don't, there isn't a lot of FPO no. YouTubers. I mean, Paige Pierce, I guess, technically has a YouTube channel. Yeah, exactly. Holly so, uh, McKenna's came in second, and then Holly Finley and Ellen Widboom tied for third um the, now this is Chantel's first Canadian I said that her season's been very meh until these last two events she had ninth place at Idlewild and then the win here um I was looking because this event it's not up on Statmando yet but it has to be one of the weakest silver event fields of all it'll time. be yeah it'll be pretty um, close it's a very interesting idea for the pro tour to schedule an event the weekend before world championships uh in a different state where the tournament is going to finish on Sunday, and then you have two courses to learn, and the t- world starts on Wednesday. Somebody, somebody didn't like our take on uh, Twitter from last week, where we basically said it was a waste of time, and they were like, they were like, uh, they they responded to your tweet because you congratulated Ezra, yeah, and he was like, yeah, but no, it was a waste of time, like just going winning a few thousand dollars, and it, it was like, a waste of time. Like, that that's not that's not the point. <laughs> well, because here's the thing: is the only way it's not a waste of time. In my is opinion. if you take first. Well, is if you show up and you taking first could get you into Maple Hill or get you into yeah. the Pro Tour Championship or something. Um, or in Chantel's case, realistic, not a good chance at winning Worlds. She won here. That's great. She gets her first win. It was the weakest field, so you have your best shot at winning. Unfortunately, it's it's. I think we can call it impossible for her to qualify for Maple Hill at this point. She would have to win Worlds to get into there and I'm obviously a win world would would uh qualify for the tour championship as well um because i don't think a silver event win holds ground as mm, far as like a pro not, tour win yeah not that i know um and so points wise she's like 150 points out of the cut for maple hill it's gonna so take a win <laughs> not exactly gonna work out um on the mpo side you have ezra robinson taking down his first ever silver event uh pro tour win Matteo in second. Well, it's a technically, if you want to get technical <laughs> wow, with it. growth from this uh, guy. Well, we'll explain oh. why I hate silver events even more in okay. a second. But Matteo <laughs> second, and then Connor Rock came in third. Here's the thing is that accolade, yes. Silver event win, technical pro tour win. But again, I mean, this was a B tier field-wise. It, it was legitimately. I've, actually, there's probably stronger B tiers. Yeah. I mean, here's the question. Right, Ezra Robinson. First off, very very solid win. Yeah. Um, well, honestly, Ezra and Matty O are not frauds. Like, well, no, they're both like That's top fifteen say. players. But I saw his name win, and it didn't surprise me that he won. Yeah, and then I started looking back, and he's having a little bit of a toyant gem of a season here. I mean, Ezra he has not finished. Butt. Listen to this thing. He hasn't finished outside the top fifteen on the Pro Tour since June. Yeah. And that's with playing like every event. No, I've been saying it. I've been saying Ezra Robinson is having a very good season. only finished outside the top 30 twice all year long. Mm -hmm. I think he might be the most underrated player on the Pro Tour. And after this win, he sits in 11th in tour points and Matteo sits in 12th. So taking the win out of the equation, okay? Because obviously if you show up and you win, sure, it was worth your time. Take the win out. Why on earth... Are they were they playing this event? They're sitting before in fifteenth and fourteenth in, in tour standings. In tour standings, so they're in. They're in the cut line. 
This right. this win only gained Ezra thirty eight points in the tour standings. Obviously, it gained him a few thousand dollars. But yeah, what's the thought process? Well, you said it a few thousand dollars. I mean, I I think that it it it's probably guys that maybe are weighing like oh maybe they don't maybe they don't feel like they need the prep at Worlds, but also like maybe they saw the field was going to be wide open. They knew it was going to be wide open, and and they were thinking. Hey, let's go try and grab a win. You got two guys like Ezra. He hadn't won anything on the tour. Matteo has won one silver, but his, I don't think Matteo's ever won a silver. He won a silver. I went back and looked at his PDG. I can't. Somebody find told me that he did. I think you're. I think you're thinking of Owen Scott. Were they gaslighting me? Somebody told me Matty he won the Stafford is, Open. I'll go look. I I went to his PDG. Because I said profile. I said he didn't, and then somebody was like, "No, he did win a I silver." I went to his PDGA profile because I wanted to before I said he had never look won up, silver. See if he won the Stafford Open. Yeah, it's right there. He did. He won oh, silver. they put silver at the end. Yeah, back then. Okay, they used to put it at the beginning. So yeah. he's won one silver. Yes. So never won on the pro tour. But in any case, um, I I think that that that's a thing. Like they were like, well, fields wide open. It'd be nice to just get a win. Win a. I mean, they did win a, a good bit of money. Like that's a that's a How real much did thing. They end up winning? I mean, I'm sure I'm sure a few grand, which is like because like the silvers, you know, even if the field is weak, they still get pretty good purses. So, I mean. Yeah, I don't, I don't know for sure. It is weird because, like, especially they don't have their payout posted. I hate when they do that, especially because Ezra like is typically sticks with like his brother and that crew. Um, it's interesting that he split off. I mean, sometimes it can be as simple as like, oh, I've got family in New York. Like, you yeah. know, like yeah. I'm. There's no, there's no telling to like why he wanted to be there. Uh, but hey, Ezra Robinson, I job don't. done. Ezra Robinson, I understand the decision. To be fair, though, Ezra's having a scorcher um, this year. Like, it's n- not insane to say that he could put up a really good score at Worlds. Yeah. Well, here's the thing: is I feel like Ezra and Matteo, both of them have a shot at a world title. And now it's a long shot, but they have a shot. Yeah, yeah. They're players that well, they certainly can put themselves in contention. I just feel like win. you're you are giving the field such a huge advantage by not being there right now. Yeah. Like you're rolling in. You got two days to learn two courses that have had changes. So mm-hmm. yeah, you've been there before, but they have had changes. You got two days to learn them both. Yeah, I feel like w- even well, with the okay, win, I don't the, think it's the brightest idea. Well, what's the line for? Like, did Ezra with that win? Did he jump inside of like any of the buys no. or like what? Or, well, uh, or he gets stroke head it, starts no, or whatever. Stroke head starts, but I don't even think he moved up because there are wide gaps down there. I think somebody said he jumped up a, a few he, spots. He moved up two spots. Well, it's two strokes in the tour. I mean, like, is that, it two strokes? There you have brackets. Oh, of like the points. Once you get, I think it's only like starts. top five is strokes, and then it's like I don't know. I mean, there that could be. I'm sure that's part of the their but thought process. You'll gain more points playing well at Worlds than you do. He only gained 38 yeah. points. Well, I think that I think certain. Now you got to also remember though that there are certain players, and this is a real thing. There are certain players who genuinely like don't feel like they benefit as much from practice as other players. There are some guys who need to be on the course meticulously practicing over and over again both of these players uh to my knowledge have played these courses before at worlds yes so it probably it could have been a case where they were just like you know what i know the courses i'm not somebody who is like super super like practice on the course is super value to me i'd rather just stay in event shape because that's another thing too is the one advantage they do have the one advantage i would say they do have is they won't have a week of competition rust you know they were they were just in a tournament in competition with each other if no one else um and at least they will have that going into it where they're going to be fresher um into that into that 
competition mindset. So, you know, there is practice that happens there. Nobody else is practicing under pressure like they are. But I think that's what that's probably what it is, is like they probably just thought, well, I don't need to practice that course because there are courses in this area like that. I know that if that I would like want to practice more than others. Um, I don't know. I'd be curious to hear from them, like what their decision making well, was. Cause like, day, it, it, it like clearly there were some outliers, like most of the tour, like almost oh, all yeah, of well, them. They were 10 strokes clear of the field. Yeah. Well, most of the tour just said, no, not going to that silver event. So that it is interesting that, that some of them stuck around pretty much the entire tour. Now there were some players like Randon Lada, Zach Arlingus, which, they're more trying to make cuts. Yeah. Um, they're more in that category, which that category, I understand. It's like, I've got to get as many points as possible. I'm not really going to win worlds. Like Randon Lotta sitting in 65th, 64th right now. It's like, if I show up and I perform really well, I can move up and get yeah. closer to cuts. I get that line of thought. It was more so, and I thought, like I knew Ezra Robinson having some good finishes. I was like, oh, this guy, he could be, you know, maybe he's in like 26 and he's like, hey, I could really use some extra points just to farther secure it. Once I saw he was near the top 10, I was like, what's he doing? Same thing with Matty O. Ezra Robinson, end of the day, won. He will never think that weekend was a waste no, because yeah. he just won a Pro Tour, a silver right. event. Matty O, on the other hand, you roll up, you get second place. You're reminded you can't win anymore. <laughs> then you go into Worlds. That might be a little bit tough. I mean, he only won two two years ago. I have to back off that take a little bit because now that I know he won a silver like a couple years ago. I will never ago. back it off because I don't consider silver's wins, especially Ezra Robinson. Like, you just said Ezra won. Sure, title-wise, he has a win. But, I mean, look at this field. This is why I hate silver events. I mean, it's... It's like, look at this. It is, the the yes. battle for Bedford has had deeper fields yes. in four last five years. It is a, it is a very weak field. Like, he um, beat one person, literally. It is, it is a Not little bit... Not to take off Jack, Jake Wolf and his forehand rollers, but Ezra Robinson didn't have any competition <laughs> It is like... It is slightly comedic that Matty O went to the event that he only had to beat one guy, and he still didn't beat that guy. That is a little comedic. I think Matty O, at this point, like, is just destined to be, like top three top five like type guy like that just feels like what it is well has Matteo even been ha- I mean obviously he's in like uh yeah he's had 12 but had just fine of a I feel season. like I haven't seen him on many lead cards I think he started off slow this year but I think because last year fine. it was like your take when you said it was a lot hotter because he was like fifth fifth third. but like you can still see he's still got the top fives like they, they are Where? out there he has one there's a fifth of champions cup third two three he's only had three top fives all year so he's definitely having a worse worse season than yeah. last year. He's he having a good he, he season. Still he's a lot of he doesn't implode like, top tens. Yeah, but that's the thing. No, he's having a very solid season, but I guess he's just not as his, good as he used to be. That's just kind of his thing. Yeah, he just kind of chills there, and you know what he he does well. For he's himself. been playing in PDJ events since 1999. Oh my! Well, I think gosh, that is, I think that's part of like about. why a guy like Matteo is at this event is like I think he just wants to play disc golf. How old is Matteo? Not as old as you no would think. Idea. I think he's no, only in his like mid thirties at oldest. Oh, someone made a website that you can look up players' ages. I don't think he's as old as I would think, considering how long he's been playing. In twenty twenty one, he was thirty four, so he's yeah. thirty six. Okay, mm. yeah, okay, yeah. I think Matteo is a guy who just loves playing disc golf. He's a road warrior, and he's just like, "What's the next event? I'm going to play it." You know, well, there are some guys top like tens, that. He makes decent. Yeah, and you can get little bonuses. Like, there are some guys who are just really dedicated to the grind and, like, just like it and just want to be at whatever. If there's a disc golf event this weekend, I'm playing it. It is crazy that there was very few of them um, that went to this event. Like, usually that that kind of, like, even Calvin, well, like, the plays, Rochester, like, everything. what's the Rochester, New York, to, what, where are they at, Vermont? Vermont? Uh, you can look up the I'll resort. I'll just look up the resort. Yes, you can Vermont. look up the resort. Closer like, what's to- that drive? 
almost six. It's six and a half hours. That is, yeah, it so is. You finish your tournament on Sunday at three. If you do it right then, you're getting in at like nine thirty, ten o'clock. If you do I mean, it right wow. then, two days of practice though. It's. I it, mean, it's not surprising that it's a tour grind, baby. And it has nothing to do with the Rochester scene. That course looked fun. It, it seemed like they turned out and supported this event. It's a pro tour should never schedule an event this weekend. It is very odd. Like it doesn't make any sense because like the pro tour just poured a bunch of energy and resources into an event. Yeah, it's almost it's that honestly is surprising. Like, on the FPO side, there was is Holly Finley in the top ten. You might have one top nah, ten player I there. Don't think so? Maybe. Nah, possibly so. zero. Yeah. Let's look at world rankings here. She's definitely not in the top ten world rankings. Yeah, on the FPO side, you had zero top ten players. The highest rated player there was. Holy cow! Was yeah. Ellen Widboom higher rated than Holly Finley? No. Ellen Widboom's in fifty fourth. Chantel Budinsky's rated higher than her now. Thirty third. Thirty third is the highest rated at ranked FPO player there. And then on the MPO side, you have two guys near the top ten. Um, but like, it, I mean, if you're the pro tour, you gotta be sitting back looking like, well, that was a waste of resources. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what they're. Um, I don't really know what they're. I think. Well, here's the thing. I do think that they probably thought that this event would be able to get a bunch of the border people that are trying to like earn scrap some points to improve their position. But I think they maybe didn't consider that because worlds is so heavy on points, people are going to be like, well, I'd rather just be practicing and not like starting my worlds kind of like exhausted. So I, I think that that's what happened there. Cause you know, it, there's a there's a there's also another key thing is I don't think this was a USDDC qualifier because in years past we've seen towards the end of the year we've seen it happen like in Canada and stuff where they'll have a silver event or an A tier even that's a USDGC qualifier and that snags a bunch of pros to go get their USDGC spot uh, not a trend you're seeing this year as much because I feel like a lot of people are able to get their spots yeah that that should but um so yeah I don't know I, I think that's probably what they were thinking. I'll be interested to see if they if they do it again last year because yeah if you're Rochester like obviously it's cool that you have a silver series uh, up there but you'd want to have it and get a better feel I mean what what a bummer that would be I'm just thinking if like the if I knew we were getting a silver series I'd be so excited to watch like good pros come and then you get a like the weakest field all year by a large margin I yeah. think and that's like dang that's a bummer yeah we'll see like the the players of this event made a lot of sense for. Connor Rock, he came in third, jumped up nine spots with earning an additional 29 and a half points. He's now in 70th. So he, I believe, is now, prior to Worlds, inside that cut. Um, obviously, he still have to perform at Worlds, but he has got 29 and a half points on pretty much everyone around him. Yeah. Jake Wolf it jumped did, up 15 <laughs> spots. It did kind of turn into like an MVP play more than yeah. anything like the guys that and i think that's why the field looks kind of like strange because it's just a lot of guys who are like sitting around the top 70 80 and yeah they just need to get into familiar. mvp um because like if you go you basically have zach Arlingus, oh he was outside of the top 50 i thought that was the top yeah, 70 no, no, i was no. like Dang. it's because uh parker welk has the qualify because he won ddo yeah. so that's where that line is but zach Arlingus is now in 49th he played then you have no one literally not a single person until you hit Maddie and Ezra that played. Mm-hmm. So like, and then from them, obviously the top. So basically two people in the top 50 played. Well, Hey, it's crazy. We'll have to, we'll have to track it. And if that, you know what, if they beat a ton of people at worlds, maybe we'll just have to eat our words, but yeah, I don't know. 
Uh, Cause that's the other thing is like you, you said it. Oh yeah. Holly Finley's 18th in tour points. So that was an important tournament for her. She jumped up three spots. Now she is in the cut for the tour championship. That's big. Yeah. So that was a big tournament. Um, obviously you still have to back it up with playing well at worlds and MVP open and stuff like that. But anyways, we don't want to rabble on. No, we don't want to keep going. Um, there you go. There, there's the AFDO 50th, 50 years. That is pretty One amazing. Heck of a streak. This this tournament existed before the PDGA. Like disc golf wasn't even really a thing. I I think when I don't even know I don't know the history of this event, but I'm imagining it started potentially as an event where they were just doing frisbee stuff. Like I don't even know if they were playing golf with frisbees at this first. If event. so, it might have been like object golf. I mean, something. it was just a when flying was the basket disc open. Does, does like the pole holes and stuff. Like that stuff wasn't until like the 80s, like early 80s, I think. I mean, when did, like, um, when we were at... The basket was invented in 1977. Okay, so... Which is a modern 70s. catching basket. So, this is four years before the modern catching basket. It's like, what? So, they were, they weren't pro- playing, they were playing object golf. If anything, yeah. If anything, yeah. Very cool. It might have just been another kind of tournament that turned into a disc Right, that's what I'm saying. It might have just been, like, they were doing, like, MTAs oh, yeah, and freestyle yeah. and stuff. So, like, they did at the Rose Bowl. I. That's That's got to be the oldest tournament in disc golf, right? Like uh, or in frisbee, like uh, I don't not know. in frisbee. Oh yeah, I guess not in frisbee, but like in yeah, in our sport that like has cont- continued the name. The first official disc golf tournament was held in Brookside Park, Pasadena, California, in 1969. But I don't, that's not going on anymore. What is that even? See, that's that's funny. Is like I, the disc golf history is so discompopulated because like a lot of people will tell you it started in like the early 80s. Like that's like the, when Scott Stokely was starting it, and it was like born and. There was like actual courses. I don't know. I don't know, man. Somebody needs to get an almanac together. <laughs> disc golf almanac. I'm reading like a brief history of disc golf from the PDGA, trying to find because they mentioned Rochester. Rochester. Right. And in uh, 1973, avid group of disc golfers happened upon a copy of an IFA newsletter. They were amazed to hear the frisbee culture that existed well beyond their little sphere of activity. They decided to make the 1974 City of Rochester Disc Golf Championship a national tournament to find out just how many people okay, around the so country were disc playing golf. disc golf. They called the event the American Flying Disc Open, AFDO, to attract the attention of Frisbee community and put up a brand new 1974 Datsun B12, B210 to be awarded oh, to the winner. A, Dots, a Datsun B210? That's sick. That's fun. Here's the thing. That's a, it's a cool name, too. I will say I understand what they were trying to do with the trophy for this event. Not to get on the trophy train gets, here. It's a Datsun B210 is the trophy. No, for the uh, this year. They gave them steering wheels. like, And they didn't look pretty. They were just black steering wheel, wheels that I think said the tournament on maybe like a wooden. They had the MPO first place in there, man. They were, it was a sick trophy. Shut up. They're going to go gas, screw it. They're going to screw it into their van, man. <laughs> Honestly, drive with that thing that's from, like the only cool thing fun. you would that do would with it. Fun. Yeah. They're going to drive from I just, there to Vermont. It just with cracked that me up watching them hold these, like, they just jet black steering wheels that, like, they just, they were steering. You're never, wheels. the, the, they why I refuse up. to just get in on this argument is we're never winning it. I don't know. There's some people that agree. There's a few people. Because, like, I get it. It's, it is a cool collectible. It's a cool callback. I get it. But it's, yeah, it's like, ah. It's not, I don't know. Like, it's a steering wheel. It's funny. 
<laughs> Brody Brody tweeted something about like in this week's rendition of what can I find in my garage to be a trophy. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Alright, let's get into a fan favorite segment. We've been rappling on too much. I'm trying to make a pawn say. stars joke, but I can't I'm just gonna say <laughs> the punch the punchline is pawn stars. Let's get into the fan favorite segment, Trevor's trivia. Connor, dude, you're a funny guy, man. Appreciate Thanks, you being man. here today. Yeah, yeah dude. No Connor, problem. you're having a great yeah, day. Today, a friend of the show. All right. so you're not a friend of the show. You're on the show. He's oh, a friend of the yeah. show, though, too. Everybody, you're also yeah. a friend of the show. Everybody you like it. You're the first listener ever grip locked. That's true. I'm the audience. I'm a live audience. Live audience. I just give a little bit more feedback than live most audience live audiences do. Right. <laughs> there you go. Perfect. Uh, Aww. All right. <laughs> I have a list in front of me. Yes. Okay. Love hit them with it. I love lists. Lists are one of my this favorite list things. List lists are at the top of my list. Has everybody's it has the the list of the um most winningest players from top to bottom heck yeah okay. so the, I, I mean there's a lot at the bottom the way this is going to work <laughs> is you guys are going to name five players each okay okay you're gonna we're the gonna winningness of like at the like tour pdga period pdga oh, wins frick. I'm going to exclude a few players because there's a few that are oh, no. outliers and like whoever gets first picks is going to just get a so few. So Ken like, Climo. So not going to exclude Ken Climo. Oh. I'm going to exclude Brian Schweberger, yeah. the most winningest player with 375. That was, that was my first pick. He's got a ton. I'm going to exclude Elaine King. That was my second pick. <laughs> Those two players are the top two by a significant margin. Dang. I'm going to exclude them. Um. You know what? No, actually, I'm going to make this. No, I won't make it any harder. Um, okay. <laughs> so you guys are each going to name five. I'm trying to decide if I want to do this. Yeah, I'm going to do it to where you're each going to name five, and then I'm going to reveal at the end, like how much okay. each person has and how much your total is. <laughs> so I think that'll be more fun. So you guys can start thinking. Most um, winning notes players. here. All right, so this I'm is just PDJ wins. Uh, who wants to go first? I can go unless Connor wants to go. You can go. Okay. I'll take Barry Schultz first. Okay. Let me write that down. Hunter wants Barry. You got it. Barry, the thrill. I'm going to take Kenny. Okay. Connor wants Kenny. Thought of him. I'm just scared he got injured too early. Yeah, I get that. Um, Big hunt. Give me Paige Pierce. Ooh, Give him Paige Pierce, he says. Um, okay. Big hunt. Big con. Um, I'll go ahead. I don't think this is a good pick. Mm. <laughs> Probably not a good time to take bad picks. Yeah. It's your second pick. I respect you, though. You've earned his respect. Ooh. I want... Doss. Nate Doss? Yeah. Fascinating one there. Okay. Yeah, not really a good one. Well, Paul Macbeth was still on the table. Yeah, I don't know why. Well, I'll just take Paul Macbeth. I don't know I why gained, I was trying to... I know to, I gained wins on Nate Doss. I don't know why I wasn't uh, thinking of that. I was trying to think of more players that I wasn't going to think of later in this game. That's Shouldn't fair. have done that. No, I'll just take Paul. No, it's okay. You can have him. <laughs> okay. Back to Connor. Um, I'll go... With Ricky, Big Rick, um, I 
I'll take Des Redding. Des Redding for Big Hunt. Very very tasteful pick. Very very tasty. Very cultured. Pick. Very tasty. Uh, I'm gonna go. Two more picks for Connor. One for Hunter. Avery Jenkins. He's not a big winner. You keep picking guys that just retired at the age of thirty. I know. It's. I know. <laughs> You're right. I'm just picking <laughs> like they big just names. One because I know. I'm just picking big names, and I'm not. I'm having the. But I mean, reason, I would feel like. I mean, there's got to be players that are just like currently playing on the pro tour that have more than Avery Jenkins. You're right. You're very right. Um, for my last pick. There's like one more I'll absolute take Katrina shark Allen. on the table. Cat. I'll take Kat. I feel like she has sneaky wins. Hmm. Well, you know you know she's in those some certain clubs. I was going to say Jennifer Allen for a similar reason. <laughs> yeah, bro. Jennifer Allen is a good pick. I'm, I I, I, I think felt you like deserve, Jennifer you deserve Allen to be gassed pick. up. I'll give you that. I'll give you that little hint. Jen Allen is a good pick. Then I'll say Jennifer Allen. Okay, she is a good pick. She is she is a top twelve on this list. I okay, I, re- I really I, th- I was gonna it. say here for the She's second one, but I was too embarrassed. Time, she, just he, has, she doesn't win on tour. Well, she, that's yeah, what I thought. She dominates like M, M, uh, FB forty or whatever. But my oh, thought yeah, process was that she'd been playing for a long time, but I was too embarrassed to say it early on. Okay, so I said Nate Doss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you picked Doss and Jenkins, who both stopped playing when they were like thirty one. <laughs> let me get the let me get the totals my, my, here. My thought process in this game was in the wrong place. The uh, the one shark that you guys really missed that would yeah, have been I'm very curious. tough was Mike Moser. Uh, Colorado he, guy, right? He has a Pennsylvania guy. Oh, who's the Moser guy in Colorado? Is no, one? you're thinking of... Um, Mike, he's what, like 215? Higher than that. Dang it. I wish I just pulled that out of my butt and I was like, I <laughs> nailed it. <laughs> okay, I got Hunter's total. Let me get Connor's total here. I'm happy with my list. You had a pretty good list. Um, I was I scared. I was going to pick Juliana Corver, but she took a decent bit of time off from the game mm. when she was doing like freestyle stuff. She, uh, let me see. But, I mean, she was dominant when she was Corver is, is one of the, she's top four, top five. Dang it. Well, she, where's Redding? She have more um, than Redding? Redding's like top seven. I'm actually changing mine to Maddie. Okay, here we go. Hunter led off with Barry Schultz, who is the best pick you could have on this list at 281 yeah, wins. He then goes to Paige, a little further down on the list. One of the top FPO players, though, at 155. She's probably top 20 on this list. Um, then goes to Paul Macbeth, who is just a spot below her at 149. Then to Des Redding, who is like a top seven on this list at 208. And finally to Kat, who's like around 10th on the list at 189, putting him at a total of 982. Dang, Good job, Big Hunt. Um, Connor started off strong with Ken Climo. Hit him with it at 240. He is like sixth on this list. Heck yeah, Connor. Then goes to Nate Doss. Oh, that's okay. Let's stick with that. Um, I couldn't find him on the list. I had to search him. Mm. He has 43 wins. Okay, yeah, that's good. That's, <laughs> that's pretty why good. I picked, um, that's, I think, was that one I picked? Which Paul? like that one is shocking. Yeah, that was low. A bad one. Like I. That is crazy. He's, he stopped his career so short. Yeah, yeah I should. I should have thought of that. You gotta I have didn't. those guys that have like those late. Parts of their career, they just clean up like old. Uh, my mind scenes. was going to yeah. who was doing really well at one point, and that's uh, 40, not the way to go. Forty three though, like because he had a junior career, so forty three is low. I would have thought he would have been seventy, eighty at least. Um, Rick, you went to Rick then, who has one twenty five, solid pick. Um, then you go to Avery, mm-hmm. who has sixty six. Yeah, same um, similar spot in my head, and then rounded out Jen Allen at one sixty three for a total of six hundred and thirty seven. Hunter is the winner. Good job, Hunter. Um, Thank you. 
Yeah, the big one that y'all missed was was Mike Moser, but he's a tough one to get. Where is um, Johnny McRae on? He's that also list? very high on the Cause, list. Because uh, uh, that that because he's been playing forever and Johnny still McRae playing. is like eighth, the old guy. He's like I know that, I was, didn't start Schick, thinking until Matt I Dollar, Kevin McCoy. You got to think of local guys like Kayla Visco and Steve Rico. That's really why Barry good. Schultz is my first pick, is because like I have seen him win probably twenty times. What about like, MJ? I witnessed it in North Carolina? Who was Michael Johansson on that list? Um, that's a good I feel like he doesn't play that much local. I didn't. I didn't see. He's not on the initial page. Um, let's see here. Joe, hmm, why is he not popping up? That's weird. He's not popping up on this list. Oh, so he must be like really. He's far never out. won anything ever. Hmm, that's interesting. I wonder if I like just search him as you a player. Just go, uh, I can go on PDGA. Yeah, just search his PDGA. Imagine he has like more than anybody does it, but. Michael the fact Johansson. that Schwebe has 371 wins. Okay. Michael Johansson. That's weird. He wasn't popping up on the list. Okay, so he wouldn't have been a bad choice. His, no, I spelled it right. Yeah, tough one. It's it is weird. Getting the just like wins can be. Can be Took tricky. me a while to get in the correct mindset there, and by a while, I mean I never really did no, until dude, after Jen the game Allen was, was over. A really good pick. That was a that was a smart pick. All right, let's talk into You're this. You're a smart uh, guy. I saw this posted on Facebook mid last week, and. Um, is a fascinating storyline from back at I think this is Deeklo. Yes. Um, I love it whenever Hunter talks about posts that he sees. So it yeah, always leads to fun alone. convo. Yeah. I'm gonna read you this post. So if anyone needs another reason to dislike Nate Hunt, I, this is me reading the post. This is not my words. Clarify no. that because this first sentence is pretty condemning if it was my words. <laughs> if anyone needs another reason to dislike Nate Heinold, this is from a live UDISC scoring volunteer. Another situation from Sunday, albeit a non-factor in the outcome at the top, was an issue Heinold brought up to the group I was doing UDISC scoring for. I had the 12.27 p.m. MPO scheduled tee time. The DGPT delayed my card start to 12.30 due to the FPO chase or third card coming up on 18 at the time. At 12.27, Luke Humphreys wasn't there yet, but we weren't starting yet. At 12.30, our card starts getting called out, called off with our first player team. Luke was next. And as he is being introduced, he is running up and runs to the tee and makes his shot. Our card moves on with no issue and no delay other than the DGPT delay. On hole three, Heinold walks up and tells Luke he's getting a par plus four penalty for being absent at the start of the round. The players on the card then spend five minutes arguing with Heinold on hole three's tee about how they don't agree. Luke and the group then spend about 20 minutes after the round at the scorer's table trying to figure out how he decided that Luke didn't make the start of his round when he was there on time to throw his first shot. Oh wait, it gets better. Luke asked for Heinold to appeal it to the rules committee on the tee of three and walking up to the tee of four, Heinold came scootering up to say it it would stand per the rules committee. After the round, Luke said he would appeal it again and it sparked another conversation with Heinold. Heinold cited 811 F.5. Luke wanted to see the rule. Heinold wouldn't pull it up, so I brought it up on the PDGA app and handed it over to Luke. The rule says 811.F.5. Absent. If a player is not present at the start of their round, for their at the start of the round for their assigned group, the player is considered absent and does not play the hole. A player is also considered absent if the player has not played the previous hole and is not present when their group is ready to start on a hole. The absent player receives a score of par plus four for each hole not played. Par is determined by the director. Mm-hmm. The issue is the group of the round. Started at 1230, not 1227, so it was a non-issue that Heinold was making an issue. Here's the deal. Originally, I was like, yeah, this doesn't make any sense. Then I read the rule again. Nate Heinold was right. This is the start of the round, it's and the start of somebody the round. had already teed off. Luke Humphreys was not there at the start of that card's yeah. round. So, yeah. technica- technicality, technically, by the rule, 100%, Luke Humphreys should have been par plus forward. By the rule book, period. Now, how it was handled... Mm-hmm. 
probably not the best. I mean, r- rolling up on three to let a player know, I understand that because the rule is enforced. You get par plus four. The player needs to know yeah. where they're at, and they don't just look at their scorecard and see. So I understand him showing up, and I understand there's going to be a discussion. If he, it, Where it probably should have been left is, I'm going to appeal to the rules committee. Howell's like, okay, that's fine. Goes to appeal to the rules committee. Rules committee obviously is going to side with the rule, which uh-huh. is Luke Humphreys was late, par plus four. Just let that stand and explain it after the round. Yeah. Rolling back up on four and reigniting it. It is an interesting one because, like, yeah, I, I when I read that when I read the rule thing at first, because when I first was reading through the whole thing, I was like, this is so silly. Like, he was there to throw his shot. Like, who cares? But then, you know, if you want to play by the rules, and we should, um, it does say the start of the round. It doesn't say for your throw, right? Yeah. So that means from when the first person on your card is like at twelve thirty on the dot. The problem is. I feel like I need more context. Like, when did he arrive? Well, it says as he was being announced, he ran up, is what yeah, this guy says. Right. And he was, he announced, but was he announced first on the card? No, he was second. Second on the card. He was oh, second. So he was so someone, close. someone already yeah. teed off. As My, he's being introduced, he's running up. Here's, if I was the TD, because I, I believe that rules are for a reason, but also if they're not interfering anybody, with anybody, then like... I don't know. Because like if I, if I roll up, a guy is literally... He couldn't have been more than a minute or two late but he's there to where the the card wasn't delayed at all and everybody on the card was like it's completely fine and though remember those are the only people who would be affected by this like everybody else on any other card it's not changing their day at all um he's not cheating there was you know so like well technically he's cheating technically he's not gaining an advantage i think cheating i think cheating is breaking a rule to gain an advantage uh, this rule that he he's having a disadvantage by showing up late and being stressed out. Would you not agree? I like, don't know that I would just consider like if you break a rule, I you should say, be penalized. Yeah, like I said, I have no. At the end of the day, I have no issue with a rule being enforced. I'm just saying, in, in a game where well, rules can be very fluid, if I walked up and was I like, I probably wouldn't have said anything. I probably would have sounds- been like, "Are you, are you, you were late?" Like, blah blah blah. And if everybody was like, "It's fine, it's no big deal," you know, he was here for his shot. I would have been like, "All right, that's fine." And well, this on. is what this is how I interpret it. Because um, first off, we do have to remember this is only one side of the card. And the person started off with, if you need another reason to dislike Nate yeah, I that's the, yeah, that's the other uh, problem yeah. what makes me worry about this is like, I kind of want to hear Nate Heinold's side of the story because I feel like there's not enough facts this is out what, there. This is how I'm perceiving it from the back end is for Nate Heinold to not say anything until hole three tells me that he most likely was not there at the tee. And he yeah. probably walked up and the starter was like, hey, Luke Humphreys, this is the situation. Heinold goes... Oh, so he, he was absent. He needs to be par plus four. Like, he, he wasn't here for his tea time. And then probably was like, the star was like, yeah, I'm not a fit, whatever. And then I was like, okay, I'll go tell him. And rolled, rolled down. Because I would imagine if Heinold was there, he probably would have, Luke would never thrown. He'd be like, nope, the, the round already started. You're late. You can start your round on hole two. You get par plus four on the first hole. Yeah. That probably would have been the initial situation. By it not being enforced to hole three tells me Heinold didn't find out until hole three. So, in my mind, from... The outside looking in now again i think the whole three situation was justified fine because the rule is the rule the rule was broken heinold enforced the rule we can't get mad at people for enforcing the rules we've mm-hmm. seen it's true we've seen it happen where everyone's like why didn't everyone call nico on 30 seconds you can't get pissed when someone does enforce a rule now you don't get both sides it is true um so heinold rolls up on three enforces the rule 
I disagree with him coming back on four, personally. That's where I'm like, okay, that part, like, roll up on three. Luke has every right to appeal to the rules committee. That should have been that. Like, hey, you have par plus four. I'm going to appeal to the rules committee. Yeah, you have every right to do li- so. It That's feels fine. a little like I told you so to come back yeah. on hole four. <laughs> so then you're out of there. You're done. You appeal to the rules committee. You The rule stands because the rule is very clear that where it was the start of the round. Right. And it's very clear Luke was not well, there. It is interesting, too. Like, this guy writes this post in a very, like, matter-of-fact way when he says, um, I'd like to know, like, how Heinold arrived at the point that he was late for his round. And it's like, you literally you wrote down the rule. the rule. It's It's quite clear if he wasn't there when the when the round was starting then he broke the rule so like i almost want to hear each person's like side well i think what the logic is there this rule is very misunderstood in disc golf because i didn't know this was a technical rule yeah i gotta be honest i always thought it was for once your shot because i've been on cards and granted this but it does make sense like everybody should be held like you shouldn't get because like if the rule wasn't written this way then by going fourth on the card, you would have Advantage. more time. By so, going second on the card, you had more time. Right. So that's what I'm saying. So like that, that's why the rule has to be written this way. Um, it's the only way place where you can really draw that line yeah. to where it it's fair for like everybody. It's a tea time. Because everybody the problem, has it. The problem is that if he if he's like okay, well, everybody on the card's fine with it and everything like that, and then doesn't call him on it, then the next day, if something marginally worse happens, yeah, but it's technically breaking the same rule. I mean, he. I mean, it's, it's also yeah. tough too because like their tee time got moved back. Like there was more time. time for him to get yeah. there. Well, let's just call it how it is. You're a touring professional disc golfer. This is what you do for a living. Yeah, you, you know be your tee time. <laughs> you got to be there. How are you even showing up three minutes? Later? Well, I mean, yeah. you, I'm not going to say that be because like you could have got early. you could have got a flat tire. Like who sure, knows? Sure, yeah. sure, sure. I mean, Sarah Hogan got in a car like wreck that from, one year. From tour life, it sounded like Luke Humphreys basically was like, I like just rolling up and playing. Mm, yeah, I don't, and like if I don't that's like, your, I'm not gonna sympathize truth, with that. I, <laughs> yeah, I can't. Really. Sorry, you're a touring professional disc golfer. Warm up a little bit. Get there 30 minutes early, 40 minutes early, an hour early, and then you won't have a problem. Uh, the so- other side of this coin too, you have to look at is as a tournament director, it would technically be wrong to know a player messed up the rules and yeah. to not enforce it. No, you can't. Yeah, because then because now you as a tournament director, it's like. You can't play favorites, so if I don't enforce yeah. it for one person, but then like if it, if it's Nico, I'm definitely going to enforce it. Like yeah. you can't play yeah. that card either. So. I I would like to hear. I think more. the only the only thing I have a problem with with this situation is coming back on hole four, and there might have been a reason for it. Again, this is only one side. Maybe he was like, "Look, I'll go appeal it. I'll get right back to you." Right. Maybe that was said, and that's what he did. Whatever. Yeah, I would like to get more but, of the fact pattern. Um, I obviously this made a lot of people very upset, and come again coming after Nate Heinold for more and more. And the more I read it, I was like, as much as I understand people want to come after Nate Heinle, I think he's in the right in this one. It's a tough one when you've got like four guys on a card all like advocating against you when you're just trying to enforce a rule. You're like, look, this is the rule. And and, the rule's black and white And everybody is like in love with the players, so... Mm It, it, oh, it is also tough as Luke Humphreys. Yeah, who's a very like everybody at loves least, Luke at Humphreys. At least it didn't par plus four Hogan, his dog. Yeah, but <laughs> like that that is a tough place to be. But well, like, I do think it's a thing if of, if, if everybody's just going to get mad at a guy for enforcing the rule. That's that's pretty annoying. Yeah, well, I think it's a thing yeah. of players not knowing the the technical rule because, like I said, I've been on a card. Um, I was on a card with Lance Brown. He showed up late, um, and it was the first hole and what we did because I at this time this was a few years ago and this might have been the rule a few years ago 
But um, what we assumed was the rule is you obviously have 30 seconds to throw. Yeah, so once so you're we, announced, what we did you got 30 is seconds. Travis Chumley, I think, was the first guy on the card. He threw. He took his 30 seconds and then threw to give Lance <laughs> as much time as possible. <laughs> then it was Lance was second on the card. I was third on the card. So Lance, we gave 30 seconds. We started a stopwatch, let the 30 seconds go. And then our card was even friendly because I took my 30 seconds. And before yeah. I threw, because we were basically like, if Lance rolls up, we're not breaking any PDGA rules. We felt the tough thing but, too. So I feel like that would be a common thing for disc golfers to think is Gosh. like, well, Luke Humphries has thirty seconds to throw, and he threw within that time. And yeah. It's like, well, no. According to this, as soon as as soon as the first player is announced, that's the start of the round for the assigned group. The player, if he's not there, yeah, par plus four. Yeah, yeah. and that. it does say for their assigned group, the start yeah, of the round for their assigned group. At the start of the round, the tough for thing, their group. the tough thing with PDG rules is there's always a little bit of uh, ambiguity. Like, what does present mean? Like, could he be across the parking lot and he's like, "Hey, I'm here," or does he have to be standing within a ten foot radius of you? Like, what does the word present mean? And in this case, he might not have been anywhere to be seen. Yeah, I'm sure no he wasn't because I'm sure if they saw him running up, they probably would have never. We never got to this point. Probably I'm not. sure he wasn't wasn't even there at all. Yeah, um, crazy stuff. Yeah, let us know in the comments. If there's like any, if you interpret the rule differently, because in my in my opinion, unless we're missing information or unless we're just somehow interpreting this rule that seems very clear wrong, then like it's pretty much case closed. Like you weren't if you're not there at the start of your tea time for your assigned group, you get par plus four. Yeah. And but let us know in the comments. I'm I I know a lot of people hate on Heinold, but don't give us that. Give us some real yeah. facts. Well, yeah. that's what I do yeah. find it. I, do I don't find care it, if you don't like them. I always find it funny because this isn't the only time this has happened. But like, for instance, if it's a player like Nico, everyone's like, oh, dude, put me on his card. I'll call him. I'll call mm-hmm. him. And then someone calls a rule on a player you like. And you're like, what the frick, man? Don't call that. Like, yeah. You can't have yeah. both sides. That's why you have, have rules. I do feel like if the narrative, if the narrative of this of this story was Nico got called on this and then freaked out, like everybody would be like, "It's just the rules. You got to follow the rules." Yeah, like if Luke Humphreys called this on Nico, it does feel that way. Then everyone's <laughs> siding with Luke Humphreys, but it's because the you have Heinold as the villain and Luke Humphrey, or yeah, in this scenario, Heinold's the villain calling it, and Luke Humphreys is the guy who's getting called on. Obviously, everyone's going to side with Luke. Humphrey's That's the there. only way that the rules work is if it, if every rule is called. The rule can't care yeah. about who. Anytime a yeah. rule is broken, it it's has to. I yeah, will say the only called. other thing about the story that's weird and like was like wrong on Heinold's part is not pulling up the rule. They, again, yeah. That, that, like why? Like you I had, like I believe you were in the right. So all you had to do is read it to them. I would like to. So like, I'd like to hear Heinold's explanation on that. Yeah. Too. Like, is that true? Like, well, it like, also sounds like there's a possibility that that whole car was kind of ganging up on him, too. There's, yeah, there's yeah. this is after the round, and because I agree, like just pull. There's no reason for him just, not to pull it. Just up. read it to him, and be like, "Can you dispute that?" And Maybe the answer is yeah. no. Maybe then he didn't have his phone on him or something. Who knows? Right, but because <laughs> like I agree, when I read that part, I was like, "Oh, dude, like Heinel." Because if I'm trying wrong. to make a but tough then I, like, rules read call, read the rule. And I'm like, "Yeah, if no, I'm, he was yeah. definitely in the right." If I'm trying to make a tough rules call, it's as simple as, "Okay, here's the rule. Ready? Read it. Do you? How do you dispute that? And if there's not a dispute, like a way to dispute that, because like, what's the appeal? I like." It, this whole story too, like if the appeal was like if we are missing parts of the story and his whole appeal was no, I was there, I was literally like a hundred feet away running towards the tee, then like okay, now I start to understand where the appeal comes into play. But if like he wasn't anywhere to be seen, it sounded like from this one person's point of view, the argument was I was there when it was my turn to throw. Yeah, which that doesn't matter doesn't by work. the PDK yeah. rule. Yeah, unfortunately, it doesn't um, work. Now I wanted to pull up this article because obviously it's World's Week. 
Um, we'll have the preview show that comes out tomorrow. If you want to hear all the information, our predictions for Worlds, our preview of the course, get yourself gassed up and ready. We're also going to have a companion stream on Sunday. You're not going to miss out on that. Those are always a really good time. Um, but Ultra World put out this article. Can you guess the average age of a PDGA World Champion where they basically broke down all the data in like what is the average age of a PDGA World Champion, um, which is always obviously considered the highest um, title in our sport. So I wanted to just look at like, this is kind of like what's a peak disc offer. Well, it's funny in a roundabout way. It's funny because for two very large stretches of our sports history, it's just been the same person slowly aging. Yeah, that's true. So like, I feel, I feel like this <laughs> but, data is not great. Um, but it's it's interesting for FPO. It would probably be interesting. And well, same thing with FPO because you have Paige. <laughs> yeah, um, and then you had linking, and then you had right. Dice Redding. It's just like like 26, 27, 28, 29, yeah, 24, 25, 26, 27. <laughs> um, but I do want to shout out Old Two World. If you haven't yet, go over to Old Two World and take their fandom survey because the more data yes, that goes in, that's the more interesting fun. it is. Um, and let them know that Foundation sent you. You can click that button in there. Yeah. Um, but you, basically, you fill out, you, you answer how you feel about players, commentators. This is your chance to a let bunch people of stuff, hear it. Yep. And it's anonymous. And then come October, November range, we'll have the data spit back out and we'll let you know on the podcast what the results are last awesome. year's was always it's always fascinating it's so much fun most of the time it's just like yep that makes sense but sometimes you find something that you're like wow i didn't did not know that players be having haters um so this version the version of this article is initially published in 2021 and okay. has been expanded for 2023 so i need to do we need to guess uh yeah you know why don't you let's start here i'll just read you a few of the statistics and y'all can just guess okay what is the oldest mpo world champion ever mm, good question um Climo, it could be Climo. I was about to say, I feel like it was probably Climo. Okay. Um, how old he would have been? Old? He would have been a good bit into his 30s when he won his last one, which was mm, 30. He won his last one in like 07. What'd you say? 36? 36. Mm. Trevor? Because if I had to guess, I would say Climo is in his young 50s now. I actually do like that guess a lot. I'll agree. 36, okay. Climo. 38. Dang, I was thinking he was 38. 38. Yeah, okay, was all right, pretty good guess. Wow. Now, what about the oldest FPO winner? Okay. Um, you're not going to know this one. Well, you're not going to know who it is. So you, oh. It, okay. I'll tell you, it was the well, winner from 1996. Okay. So you just uh, guess there. I got it. Basically. It's 41. 42. 42, oh. 41. Age was 40. Okay. <sighs> it was Beth Tanner. There you go. Now, this one I feel like you might have heard previously. Okay. The youngest MPO winner. Yeah, it was that kid early on. Was 1984. It? Yeah, I think... I think. I feel like I remember hearing seventeen. 17? I think it was seventeen. Sixteen. Sixteen. Oh, he turned man. seventeen later that year. Okay. He was sixteen when That's he won. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, about the how about the youngest FPO winner? This is probably either Paige. I don't know if Paige Pierce won. War, well, okay, Paige Pierce was winning, starting winning world titles. I'm gonna say twenty-one. Twenty-one. Mm, Paige Pierce is. Yeah, she was in her younger 20s when she started winning. I think her first world title was in 2011. Mm-hmm. And she is probably around age 32 right now. So she would have been, I want to say 20. Okay. She was 20 in 2011. Wow. Great math, math baby. Now she, uh, <laughs> Marie Elsner was also 20 when she won her first Worlds, but she was two months older than Paige at the time of her victory. So Paige Dang. Let's go, Paige. Okay, so here we get to it. The average age for an MPO winner of world it's down to a so decimal point I, most of the winners have come about in their mid to late 20s yeah uh now climo now here's the the problem is climo is going to skew it a good bit because he won in his 30s a good bit but Doss was in his 20s avery jenkins was 
probably still in his 20s. Paul obviously won a bunch uh, in his 20s. Before you do too much math, Climo doesn't skew it because he basically won every year from 22 to 30. That is also true. So he basically just balances Rick, the 20s. Rick was in his 20s. Like I would imagine it's coming in in the mid-20s. Like oh, yeah. I was thinking... I was thinking 25 or 6. I was thinking 26 because the 26. higher end. Of I like 26. It. It's 27 and a half. Ooh, okay. Wow. Is the average MPOH. A little bit higher than I Now, thought. what about the average FPOH? It's going to be... Now, Cat... Um, we obviously have Kristen, who's was already thirty, and Cat, who is into her thirties, just won as well. But Paige and Cat, I think it's. I definitely think it's higher. Do you think it's higher? Than I the think men's? it's a think little it bit higher. I want to say it's probably like twenty eight or twenty nine. Let's go. You want to go with a decibel? You want to just go twenty eight and a half? Yeah. 27.9. Ah, we were close. Now, here's another fascinating one. What's the average age for a first time MPO winner? First time? First time so MPO takes world out champion. The skew as far okay. as. Okay. But we can we can think back a but lot just of the these. First time MPO winner. Climate was young 20s, Paul was young 20s, Rick was relatively young 20s. I want to I want to say this one comes in at like But 20s. then you do have Barsby, who is who is a little older, and then you do have Conrad, who is a little bit older. I'm not sure if he's 30 yet but he's up there in the 20s you think 25 24 mm-hmm. i'm gonna when well, you have that 16 year old yeah true that's gonna skew the data a little bit i'm gonna say i'm gonna say 23 i was gonna say 23.7 23.7 you had the numbers right connor but it's 27.3 Dang. really yeah. oh I was, I was, it's really i must have been misreading oh my the goodness that surprises me now, a lot what about the average age for a first time what FBO the heck winner? Who could do you have like a list of like who yeah. attributes to that data? Yeah, I can look at that. Can you read them? Uh, only first time MPO winners. You have Harold Duvall at the age of 20, won the first world. Okay, so far. Jeff Watson, 23. Sam Farrens, they counted him as 27 because they didn't have good data. You're a rock star. But, um, or 17, I mean. <laughs> okay. Um, You're Johnny Seas, 34 next year. Oh, okay. Greg Hofstede, 29. Um, John Ahart, 26. Steve okay. Wise Cup, 34. Okay. Ken Climo, 22. So that, those, some of those early Ron guys. Russell, 36. Yep. Cam yep. Todd, 27. Uh, Barry Schultz, 33. Uh, Nate Doss, 20. Feldberg, 31. Jenkins, 31. Feldberg Eric was, McCabe, 32. Paul McBeth, 22. Ricky, 23. Barsby, 31. <laughs> James Conrad, 31. I didn't that realize that, that sense. Feldberg, Jenkins, and Emac were all yeah, already 31. 31, 31, 32. I thought they were like... I don't know, 27, like that kind of man. All right, what about FPO? Old Average man. age for FPO winner. Okay, well, Paige was very young. Cat was not super young. I want to say Cat won her first title in 2014 or 2012, one of those two years, and that would have been like 10 years ago ish. And she's like, so she would have been like already in her like mid to late 20s, but still not crazy old. Hokum has a world title, I believe around that stretch i have no idea how old she is um page birkis now page shoe was pretty darn young in like 2018 or whatever she won that 2019 somewhere around there hmm it's but the tough thing is now juliana was pretty young when she won her first world title uh, it's probably going to be pretty similar yeah maybe a little bit younger but it's tough to know like early on you want to say like 26? I like 26 and a half. 27.1. All right, we're mm. close. All four 27 are in wow. 27. 
That's crazy. Now, so they did this next. Dang, I still got time. The average age for winners. So those age seem to be in the heart of the prime for disc golfers. Players that will turn 27 in 2023. This is fun. Include Sir Calvin Heimberg. Oh! Also, you have Kevin Jones, Andrew Marweed, Ella Hansen, Annika Steen, Rebecca Cox, Cy Nanda, and 2018 world champion Paige Shu. 28, some players skews a little bit towards that sometimes, like the average age for FPO winners and MPO winners. Players that will turn 28, James Proctor, Jessica Weiss, Natalie Ryan. But Dude, the, obviously... Calvin the turning 27. 27 for Calvin. That's written in the stars. That's tough. crazy. Uh, if you want me to go over the FPO numbers, how you got there. How old was Rick the first He's actually going to turn 27.3 at the time of... First. Rick was 23. Okay, I was curious. Uh, Sarah Hocum was 30 when she won, and Katrina Allen was 29 when she won. How was already 29? What year was that? 2014. Jeez. No, I'm not going to say that. And Sarah Hocum was 30 when she I won in 2012. Gonna, I was going to say she's old. Um, oh, I said you. it now. It's too late. No, it's wow, too late now. Rude. Wow. Blocked. Very rude. Sorry. FPO is very much like up, down, up, down, up, down, um, age-wise. But there you go. So the median first-time winner, MPO players, is 28. Median for FPO is 27. That's fun. Um, Thank you for the data, Mr. Ulti's world. Fun. Yeah. So there you have it. It's just Ulti's world. We're all living in it. Who runs so the world? So as of uh, July of 2018, the average age for a major winner in men's golf is 32 years and 143 days. That makes sense. Takes a little bit longer. Yeah. And also you've got guys like like that are winning into their 50s if you're Phil Mickelson. The example. average age for a men's tennis Grand Slam winner is 24 years. And you need money to play golf. That's interesting. And the average age of an <laughs> NBA All-Star player is 26 and a half. Yeah. And MVP is 27.9. Yeah. So about 28 is athletic prime. So I got two years to let athletic prime. Heck yeah. That I've been, say, I've been saying that for years. Now. I've been saying that for years. Once I'm 28, I'm athletic I don't, prime. Well, I, just, I, I think you're in your athletic prime. I don't. I think that the age is like athletic ability plus experience. So you're not in your ability prime. You will have like your most ability at sports because you'll have the smarts and the, you'll still have all of the athletes. I mean, with the smarts. But I think, I think from... Well, I don't know. Grown men's strength is a thing. for you is uh, going into monthly matches. I'm getting closer and closer to my athletic prime. I'm only going to get that better. That's just a good years. excuse, though. I'll just be like, well, this guy's in his prime. What but then what's going to happen when I turn 20? Shout out prime, right? When I turn 30 and you're in your athletic prime, I'm still beating you. Dang, dude. <laughs> wow. 12 time. What does it really say for Brody rolling <laughs> in and smacking us around? He's hanging on to that prime, man. Give me two years. <laughs> Drinks hanging a lot of prime. prime. Can't do that, man. Not a sponsor. I'll edit that out. All right. Well, we'll see you tomorrow for the disc golf. Hasta mañana of the <laughs> right? disc golf. Yeah, yeah. of right. the disc golf world championships. How are we already there? I don't know, but it starts on Wednesday, and you're not going to miss the preview show where we'll go through all the story. We're going to have a new world champ next grip block, episode. including the fact that Calvin Heinberg's 27. Come on, coming into worlds. Big storyline. No one's talking about. Seven. Nice. We'll see you tomorrow. Four.